0: You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you wanna hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. And let us consider how distracting to meet together, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we are in a, a sermon series called Cultivate. The last four weeks we've been going through the sermon series, and really this sermon series is designed to help reinvigorate our discipleship culture here at Sacred City Church. And I've been saying that line every week, and yet I've never really explained what I mean by a discipleship culture. What, what exactly is this discipleship culture that I'm speaking of? Well, discipleship culture is an environment where constant Christian growth is pursued and aided by all. So this idea that together we're all seeking growth, we're all seeking gospel transformation, it's a community of people that are unsatisfied with just going through the motions of playing church and instead want to have a vibrant, it's just a vision, a hunger for this vibrant church life together, serving the Lord, and, and living in community together. And this, this, this community then has, has an ethos that is saturated with grace and truth, with, with word and worship, with life and love. No, a place like that is conducive for gospel growth. A place like that is like you put you step into this place and, and you're going to just feel prodded along naturally to want to grow, to want to learn, to want to study, to become a more faithful and joyful disciple of Jesus Christ. It's like the church in this way, a discipleship culture, is an incubator for even more growth. I, over the last couple of years, I've been getting into plants, house plants. Um, it started off, I bit off way more than I could chew. I bought like a seven-foot fiddle leaf tree, and I basically led it to the grave, and it resurrected, and long story short. But I, one of the, the things about my house is that we don't have very many south-facing windows, which if you're a plant person, you know that those are the best windows to put your plants in. And and what I realized earlier this summer is that my porch, I've got this like, uh, it's like a little porch that's got windows and stuff. It's like the perfect place. So this summer I took all of my plants out and they've been struggling uh, in my house just a little bit. I put them out in the porch and right there, it's this, this environment that's conducive. It's get lots of sunlight, lots of heat. It's like a basically a greenhouse. And so it became like this this place that was very conducive for my plants' growth. And they just took off. It's exciting. That's the idea of a discipleship culture in the church. A place where people just are growing and flourishing and aspiring to Christ-likeness together. And what we want at Sacred City, with the elders and myself, what we're praying for, what we're asking God to do is to make us a church that is more of that. Make us a church where more people are eager, hungry for gospel growth, where we get to see God at work, where lives are being changed. And as we see this, we, we see this trajectory of discipleship of, of growing up into Christ'-likeness and, and this ability to raise up leaders, and, and not just that, but to become a, a catalyst for kingdom advance, that, that our community would benefit, that our community would flourish, but then it would also contribute to the, the flourishing of other places and other people as God uses us to take His gospel out into other places. And so I do really believe that that our ability to be that catalyst for kingdom advance depends on us developing, growing, creating this gospel culture, this discipleship culture. But at the same time, we have to realize that kingdom advance starts in the hearts of individuals, It starts on the individual level, at the heart level, where we are cultivating ourselves, taking our own discipleship seriously, taking responsibility for that. And that's what we spent a lot of time last week talking about was was the spiritual disciplines, the way that we can foster our own growth. Now, this, this idea of spiritual disciplines is a very important fixture of developing a gospel culture, of developing a discipleship culture. And while... The spiritual disciplines are important. Oftentimes, um, the people Christians have a truncated uh, understanding of what discipleship is, and, and what they do is they think that, that personal piety is the entirety of what Christian growth is. Like if I'm just in my Bible on a regular basis, if I if I get one on one with Jesus in my prayer closet consistently, that I could read and memorize scripture, I have this very very like me and Jesus mentality, and that is viewed as the sum of Christian growth of Christian uh, discipleship. Now without downplaying spiritual disciplines, what we have to realize, if we think of discipleship as purely this one-on-one, me and Jesus relationship, we, we are going to run into a lot of problems with that idea. Because if it's just me and Jesus, if it's just this individualistic sort of faith life that I'm trying to, to cultivate myself, What I'm gonna find as I'm reading my Bible, as I'm studying, as I'm in my prayer closet, what I'm gonna find is that I cannot do a vast majority of what the Bible commands by myself. Do you realize that? Like you cannot do what the Bible commands you to do in isolation because a large portion of the gospel imperatives, so there's the indicatives, here's what God has done, what the, the indicatives of things, that because Jesus lived, died, and has been resurrected, there's the, the indicatives, the imperatives, the, the overflow, the response to those things. The imperatives require you to be in community there are some 59 different one anothers that scripture talks about to love one another bear one another's burdens to care for to show hospitality to welcome one another you cannot do these things by yourself so you need a people you need a community obedience to jesus requires community now this is a good thing this This is a good thing because Jesus calls you into something that you were designed for. You were made for community. Now, I know that there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. And and a lot of times, introverts are like, I'm cool. Just like, sign me up to live out in a cabin in the woods by myself. Like, that sounds pretty nice to me. And and while you may have that that disposition of that time recharges you and boosts your battery, God has made you to need community. And that's because you've been created in the image of God. God himself is three in one, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Since eternity past and all the way through eternity future, God has and will be a community in and of himself, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God brings us into true community. God, God brings us into a family, that the context of discipleship, where we can learn to follow Jesus, to grow in the gospel. And so one of the things that we say here at Sacred City Church is that you can only make disciples the way that Jesus made disciples, and the way Jesus made disciples was in community and on mission. That's the only way to make disciples, is in community and on mission. And so today what we're talking about uh, under this whole, um, this whole umbrella of cultivate, of building a, a disciple-making culture, we're talking about community as the context for discipleship. Now there, there is a lot to say about gospel community. There's no way that I can cover it all here in these 30 minutes or so. But what I wanna do today is unpack I'll give you four Cs of community. Just if you like alliteration today's your day because we're talking about community and I got four other Cs it's going to be right up your alley if, if you're a, a note taker. But but one of the things that, that Hebrews 10 as we jump into this passage is going to show us, it's going to point us to the command of community, some of the challenges of community, the caliber of community and the crop of community, those four Cs. So what we're gonna do, if you don't open your Bible with me, we're gonna drop into Hebrews. Now, dropping into the book of Hebrews is, is a lot like dropping into the middle of the ocean. There's just a lot to cover. I think in my opinion, the book of Hebrews is, is probably one of the most challenging books of the New Testament specifically to understand because there's just so much context, so much background that's involved there. But thankfully, the passage that, that we are are situated ourselves in today is fairly straightforward. In fact, what we see today is, is um, our passage is the last of three let us appeals, not let us, not, not like a it's not like a salad bar thing, um, but let us, the, the, whoever's writing this is saying, let us do this, let us think about this. And so he says, let us, he makes these three, let us appeals in chapter 10. And that, that, that would be the, the imperative, but then that, that imperative is rooted in the indicative. So let, let's see, if you open up to, to Hebrews 10, back in verse, let's see, where is it? Back in verse, am I in the right World here, okay. Here we go. Found it. He says, Therefore, brothers, this is verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So, here the whole context, the whole conversation is set up by the reality because Jesus is who he is and because he has done what he has done. Let us therefore do this. And so, the first let us is verse 22 let us draw near. Verse 20, let us draw near with true heart and faith, full, uh, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us draw near. The, the second, let us, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then here's the third one, which we're focusing on today. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, at first glance, you can see the the command of community is, is, is right there. It says, do not... Do not neglect to meet together. Do not forsake coming together. Do not forsake assembling together. Or in other words, if you want to spin it in, in the positive, if that's the prohibition of do not do this, the, the, the positive command would be to get together, be together, congregate, assemble. Now, now this is, it's important for us to think about this because um, we would say we're the church, the body of Christ, The church, and the word, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and what that word means is the called out and gathered ones. So whenever you see in your Bible this reference of the church, it's the called out, people have been called out of the world, called out of darkness, and they've been assembled, they've been gathered together, they've been placed into a new community, And so what this this command is saying to us here in Hebrews 10 is that we need to live into that reality, that we've been called out, we've been gathered, and this not only applies to the Sunday morning gatherings as we come together to worship, but this applies beyond that into what we would say missional community life, like the day-to-day, ongoing, natural rhythms of life are, are influenced by this pattern of gathering and assembling together, Now one of the things that we must realize that that if you belong to Jesus, if you are a Christian, if your faith is in Christ, then you not only belong to Jesus, but you belong amongst fellow Christians. That Jesus has brought you into a new community. He's placed you next to other people who have also believed in the gospel. And so this kind of community, this idea of belonging amongst fellow Christians, of of gathering, of being together, this is not an optional facet of the Christian life. You don't get extra credit for doing that, of gathering together. This, This place of gathering, of being together, is the context for Christian life. Jesus commands us, he commands us to gather with fellow Christians to do life together. Every one of those uh, one another passages, to, to love one another, to bear one you know, those are all linked to the idea of you've gotta be together. Now the reason why this, this command stands out to us is because there are, whether you realize it or not, there are all kinds of challenges, that's the second C, there are all kinds of challenges to Christian community. That There are things that will interfere with you living in community, like making your life sort of orbit around this communal life together in Christ. Now, this is true not only of us, but also for the Hebrews here, because apparently in Hebrews, they've been bombarded with challenges to gathering together. And now... It, it makes us understand that, that there is a, a bad habit. He says that let's not neglect to meet together as the habit of some. And so this, these challenges have led to bad habits where people aren't gathering together. Now, if we go back and unpack in the original context, what, what's going on here? What, what are some of the challenges that they're dealing with that make community uh, the obedience to the command of community difficult for them to keep? And I think one of the most understandable reasons like why these early early Christians uh, forsook the assembly is because they were facing death threats. To be a Christian, to profess faith in Jesus Christ and to live your faith out meant that you were going to face persecution that you're going to face hostility. And, and it, might, it might be you, you get sort of um, socially slighted. You get treated poorly, marginalized. And in some cases, people were dying. We, we, Christians were, were martyred, killed for their faith. Now, this seems like an understandable thing. Like if, listen, if it's, you know, I go to church and die or I stay at home and I might live for another day, then I can understand why there's that that thing going on in your head. I, I don't know if I should get. But what this scripture tells us is that even the threat of death is not good enough reason to stay away from gathering together. Now, there would have been another contributing factor that would have prevented them from gathering together, and that would have been the racial tension that was experienced in the church between Jews and Gentiles. I don't have time to totally unpack all of this, but, but there ha- because the gospel has been for all people, that both Jews and Gentiles alike could put their faith in Jesus, receive his grace, receive his forgiveness, receive this new inheritance... You had two, a collision of two different cultures coming together in the church. And when you have both Jews and Gentiles, the cultural composition of that community was profoundly affected. This newfound diversity created new challenges, so much to the extent where people were like, you know what, it's too hard. Like, dealing with this person is too frustrating. Dealing with this person and their views or their whatever is too hard. It's like, it's just not even worth it. Now, if you were to boil these two things down all the way to the center here, I'd say the, the challenge of community really comes down to two things. One is convenience, and two is preference. The two things that stand in the way of, of, of engaging in community the way the Lord commands us to is, is personal preference and a desire for my own convenience. And this just tells us, like, not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed in that regard since the first century where this was written to us now because really our struggle today boils down to convenience and preference as far as barriers to moving into community. And you hear this all the time. You hear people say, you know what? I don't like that music. This, this guy talks way too long on Sundays. It's too early. It's too late. I'm too busy for missional community. Too big of a hassle to prepare dinner. It all comes down to convenience and preference. And if that's the challenge of community, if that's the thing that gets in the way, we gotta ask, who's at the center of that? Who's at the center of, of that mentality? It's not Jesus. It's not the church at large. It's me. The, the reason that I'm not gathering isn't, isn't because it, it just it comes down to me. It's my preference, my convenience. And that just shows us that we are heavily influenced by the values of our culture our culture might be the most radically individualistic culture that's ever existed it's like that the value of our culture is autonomy being my own man being my own woman doing what i want without a lot of regard for how it affects other people and this mentality runs antithetical to the faith of christianity like you, you can't hold those values and then try to live the Christian life at the same time. And the reason that that's true is because in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul tells us, he reminds us that you are not your own. You're not your own. But you were bought with a price. Jesus laid himself down. He, he surrendered his preference, his convenience for you. He totally gave himself up for your benefit, laying his life down. And if you have experienced the self-giving love of Jesus, I mean, if that's really, if you've reckoned with that and that really has changed the way that you view your, your world, your life, how could you not be moved to lay aside your own preferences? If Christ laid them down and went to the cross, if Christ sacrificed his own comfort to be to experience a state of discomfort for your own comfort, if Christ sacrificed his convenience to leave heaven and come down to earth, shouldn't that affect us? Sh- shouldn't that change the way that we view and live in this world? See, this is This is one of the the profound things of the gospel. The gospel stirs something special up in us that that you can't get to by any other means. The gospel moves us from pride the self-centeredness to humility, to, to consider others more, their needs more urgent than my own. It moves us from self-focus to being others-focused. The gospel brings us into community, places us in the context where other people who love Jesus are, and keeps us there by God's power. And it's because the gospel overcomes so many barriers the gospel just sort of dismantles all of the challenges of community. What we must realize then is the, the caliber of community the gospel creates, that's your third C. The caliber of community. I, I grew up in a church that, um, it was like a s- small town, small town, rural community, small church, and, and in this community, like. I knew a lot of people. I knew a lot of people and they knew me, but, but the, the depth of relationship was like an inch deep, mile wide and an inch deep. Now, there's a lot of people that love Jesus at the church, still are, they're loving him, walking with him, but, but what I came to realize is the Christian life needs depth, needs depth of community. Like if a church is just a bunch of acquaintances, people who see each other on Sunday mornings, give each other a high five, hey, hope you had a good week, da-da-da-da, and then that's it, then the depth of that community is very shallow. Hey, if we think of the church as just like a, in a loose, a loose affiliation of households, then there's going to be the shallowness to the Christian community. There's going to be this flakiness that comes with it. But one of the things that we need to realize, especially as we read our Bible, is the depth of community, the robust communal nature of the Christian life. Because what God has done through the gospel is he has made us family. Do you realize that? Like, if you have been brought into, if if your faith is in Jesus, you've been brought into God's family. That's why you get to call God Father when we pray to him. Father, Jesus is our older brother, but Jesus, he was pushed out of God's family in order to bring us in. That, that we receive adoption in Christ's name. So now, not only do I have a new relationship with God as my father, but I have brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, we've, we've realized that we are related by the blood of Christ. It's not, it's not like blood, it's not biologically related. But the blood of Christ is the stronger blood that brings us together because we will be together for eternity. This is why there's a passage, I can't think of where it's out right now, but when Jesus, um, some of his disciples say, hey, your mom, your brothers are looking for you. They want you to come. They want you to come leave what you're doing now. And Jesus says to them, well, who are my mother and my brothers? Like Who are my true family? And Jesus says, my, my true family are those who do the will of my father. There, there's a sense where, and this is profound, there's a great book called When the Church Was Family. I don't know if it's in the bookstore, but it's a, f- a fantastic book highlighting the communal nature of the Christian faith. And what Jesus was doing in that moment was showing the strength of the bond of brothers and sisters in Christ that supersedes biological connection. And he even says, he said, you gotta, you've got to hate. Like that's how strong the love is. You must hate your family. No, I'm not saying hate your family. That's not, but comparatively, the love for Christ, the love for your brotherhood, the sisterhood that you have in the church, that bond is so strong. Now in Hebrews 10, we, we don't see it say explicitly, go live in God's family. Although there are lots of, lots of passages that say that. Lots of passages that point to brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, the family of God, the household of God. But the language that we see in Hebrews 10 certainly does suggest family vibes here. Because it says, look, it says, let us hold fast, excuse me, let us consider how to stir up one another. In some translations it says, "Let let us provoke one another. Now if you have siblings or have children, you know that no one can provoke one another better than siblings, right? Like siblings know how to push buttons. Siblings know how to, how to grind the gears a little bit. Siblings know how, how to stir others up, how to provoke. Now, usually it's not done in a positive way. Usually it's done to get some kind of a, a reaction, some sort of emotional response so that you can point the finger and blame and all that stuff. But they know, family knows how to provoke one another. But here, what the author of Hebrews says is that that family ought to provoke one another towards love and good works. We are not to provoke each other to anger to bitterness, but rather we are to stir up love and good works among the body. We are, we are to take the influence that we have, and rather than pointing it towards something destructive, pointing it towards something constructive, something that builds up the church in love. Now, in order to do this, this means that you must spend time together. You've got to be in places where you can rub shoulders, where you can stir up and provoke one another towards positive ends. And what we realize is that Sunday mornings, though they are very powerful and the Lord does good work here on Sunday mornings, they are not sufficient in and of themselves to give us adequate exposure to one another to truly provoke one another towards good work, towards love. Which means what we need is weekly rhythms. Acts 2, 42 through 47 shows this communal life where, where people are sharing life, all things in common, where their weekly rhythms are influenced by communal life in, in the church, that they're eating together, they're, they're studying God's word together. They're Well, you could say, well, it goes beyond that to vacationing together and hanging out together, enjoying one another, having exposure to one another so that you can provoke, stir up those good works and love. And even even when you're not together, physically, you still have this united mindset That, that you're still connected. You're still staying in touch with one another. You're still helping each other navigate the ups and downs of discipleship. And one of the ways that we do this is by praying for one another. I wanted to take this opportunity to connect the spiritual disciplines that we talked about last week and and the fact of community this week and marrying them together and say one of the things that we ought to be doing even when we're not together in each other's presence is praying for one another. Of lifting up our brothers and sisters, this church family before the Lord, asking for his blessing and help in all matters of life. And so one of the things that, this might be cheesy, but deal with it. As you leave today, I've got to, I've got a list of prayers for the next month. I want you to pray for this one thing. I'm gonna pass them out as you leave. I just want you to pray for our church for this one thing. Commit to it for 30 days. And let's see what the Lord will do. Because when we pray for one another, our hearts grow towards one another. When we pray for each other, we have this natural familial affection that swells up. So that way, we actually can, are willing, we have, have this desire to press on and do life, even when it gets tough. Even when we have to navigate tough things like forgiveness and repentance and suffering together. Now to live into the reality that you in fact are part of God's family, if you're a Christian, it means that we must take an intentional effort like because our culture is set up to be individualistic like community doesn't come natural for us maybe it does for some but not for everybody like it requires effort to engage to set up your calendar so that you'd have somebody over for dinner to to prioritize community life together It takes some intentional effort to do this, and in fact, it takes a lot of fortitude, it takes a lot of fight for us to protect and to work towards this, but you have to realize that the payout of being immersed in Christian community is far greater than the investment that you put in. The payout is far greater than what you invest. And this is the final C, the crop of community. The crop of community, what I'm talking about is the yield, the output, that that if you are immersed in community, here's the thing that it kind of produces, not only in that community, but in your own life. Because when we are situated in Christian community, God is doing good gospel work through these relationships, in fact, I would say that discipleship is primarily relationship. It's, it's learning how to treat, to live with one another. And, and as we go through that process, something unique, something glorious is happening to us. In fact, Ephesians 4 talks about it as this, that, that the body of Christ is being built up in love. That she's growing stronger. She's getting, becoming more glorious, and God does this both in an individual sense and corporately. So, so in one sense, it's like the, fa- the, the whole family, the, the church family grows. And as she grows, she becomes more, more beautiful where the people on the outside are looking and it's like, there's something special about these people. And like Jesus said, that the world is going to know who you are. You, the world is going to know that you're mine because of the way that you love one another. And so there's something corporately that happens that's special, but there's also something that happens on the individual level that happens. That that it's the place where I can grow as a disciple, where I can help others grow as a disciple. And so God really is doing this this magnificent work. He's putting out an incredible crop to make us more glorious and if you're not part of a Christian community, and I mean like not vitally connected to a Christian community, you're going to miss out on a lot of the work that God's doing. Like, like your own discipleship will suffer and other people's discipleship will suffer because you're not there. You're gonna miss out. In the midst of Christian community, we are learning how to do life together for the glory of Jesus. In the midst of Christian community, we are learning what it looks like to suffer with those who suffer. We're learning to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're learning what true love is like. We're learning what it looks like to forgive and to be reconciled to care for, to to uphold and strengthen one another. And through these gospel friendships, through this camaraderie that is built up in the church, together we go shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and labor in God's mission of making disciples together. Now this is what verse 25, I think, is really all about. In verse 25, it says... You know, let let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Christian community ought to be this very encouraging environment where people are constantly being prodded to chase after Jesus. Now, I've never met anybody who's too encouraged. Have you? So somebody who just feels so confident and bolstered up. Because the reality of it, if we're living life, it's like we're going to take blows. We're going to get knocked down. We're going we're to get socked in the jaw from time to time. And so we need one another to be encouraged. We need the strength of others when my weakness seems to be shining through. And this encouragement isn't just always the, the applauding and But a lot of times, encouragement comes in the form of admonition. Listen, brother, I want to encourage you to take this next step. I want to encourage you to lead your family at home. I want to encourage you to put away falsehood. And so there is this admonition that comes. There's this challenge that comes with encouragement. But the whole time, it's it's, we are for you because Jesus is for us. To be in the midst of of Christian community means that you have fellow brothers and sisters that are moving towards the same end. That, that they can help strengthen you when your knees are weak. In hard seasons, they can be like an anchor to you reminding you to place your hope in Jesus at all times. They can strengthen you. And and as this this process, this community of encouragement is built up, what God is doing, he's building an indestructible group of men and women in the forge of community. People who can weather the storm. That's one of the things here. It's like the the idea at the very end of this passage, verse 26, is to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of this passage has has a future orientation here. Because the future, it's gonna get hard. There are gonna be hard things that Christians faith. We are going to find that we need each other far more than we ever imagined. Because the reality is to live the Christian life is it's too hard to do alone. It's too hard to do in isolation. You'll find yourself discouraged. You'll, You'll find yourself wavering. And in those moments, you're going to need people who can come alongside you to pick you up, to restore you. There's this passage in Galatians that that those who are caught in sin, let, let them be gently restored. You need that, I need that. God made it so that we need one another all the more as the day draws near. And as we find ourselves in the context of community, Jesus is doing something. Jesus is making us people who look more and love more like Jesus. And you wanna know one of the chief markers of a discipleship culture? One of the chief markers of, of, of Christians who have been received their place in God's family? It's joy. It's joy. It's a deep gladness in the gift of community because a lot of times we look at community and we think, man, it's so burdensome, it's just gonna take more from me than I ever you know, will get back. But it's a joy to have brothers and sisters. And so I, w- I wanna challenge you in your view of community. Right now, when you think about Christian community, is it like something that you're like, whoa, I don't know, that's too much? Or when you look at it, do you, do you savor it as a gift, as a gift from God? Did you see the crop and just get excited by the idea of God producing people who have a zeal for the Lord? So brothers and sisters, both for your benefit and for the benefit of this church at large, let us appreciate the community that Jesus has given us through the gospel. Let us receive gladly our brothers and sisters. Let us give ourselves to stirring one another up in love and good deeds that we would be encouraged to keep pressing on, to keep fighting the fight of faith. If you're not yet part of one of our missional communities, I wanna invite you to, to come check it out. To, To be honest with you, there's nothing special about it. I mean, I don't want to like hype it up and say, like, oh yeah, this is the best thing in the world. It's actually, well, we're just ordinary Christians. We're people trying to figure out what's it look like to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to obey Jesus in all the everyday stuff of life. And as we have that same vision, God produces something that's, that's quite amazing. A family, a group of people that through thick and thin are, are connected. So I want to invite you in to experience that. And maybe you're in missional community right now, but maybe you're on the fringes. like like you don't have that buy-in. You're not invested in the way that maybe at one point in the past you were or maybe never have been. I want to invite you to join us, to, to see the call, the command of community and step into it. and know that God, he commands things for your good. God commands things for your good that we together could see the crop that Jesus is producing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you... Ephesians tells us that in Christ, you've given us every spiritual blessing. And at the top of the list, I mean, we, of course, we've got forgiveness of sins and being reconciled to God and all those things. It's just incredible. But, but what that affords us is the ability to be reconciled to one another, to live life in community and to live life in community with other sinners where, where sin will happen and we'll need the kind of forgiveness that Christ gives us and extend that to other people. And so we want to thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've you've brought us into community. You've given us a new family. Um, You've placed us in this environment that we would grow, that our hearts would more and more take the shape of Christ, that our lives would be marked by obedience to Christ, that we don't view ourselves as as this, like, silo, but but really to see ourselves as, as part of an interconnected city where you are building up your bride, your church, Lord, help us to live into this reality as as members of the family. And would it be all for Your glory and for our joy? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.